It's summertime, but we're back in the chop shop. I'm Ralph Ventry. It's time to talk a little summer football on today's installment of the NEC Overtime Pod. You can find the NEC Overtime Pod on any of your favorite platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, NEC Overtime Pod. And this is the Summer Chop Shop with NFL Draft Bibles, Rick Saratella. Rick, what's happening, man? How you doing down the shore this, this summer here? Some beautiful well, weather for you, and uh, it's got to be feeling good. Yeah, we got the summer heat, man, but the, the gas pedal don't break here at the Jersey Shore NFL Draft Bible headquarters, man. We've been uh, moving and grooving, calling up the coaches, talking to the Northeast Conference head coaches, getting the overview on some guys, getting the lowdown on some prospects for the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl, which we're scouting for in, in January. So it's a can't-stop, won't-stop situation. It's been great just to talk ball, get on some Zoom calls, and, and, and travel the country. We're still scouting the country looking for talent, so it's just great to be talking football, be around football, and I can't wait for this season. And it's always great to chop it up, uh, especially when we're talking NEC football. Um, I know you're excited about the season and uh, as, as am I and a number of others out there. Um, and we'll get to the NEC and the state of the NEC uh, later on in, in the show, in the conversation here. But first, let's talk a little bit about the NFL um, and two of the NEC athletes who signed undrafted free agent contracts uh, both of them went to the East-West Shrine game. Both played for Wagner on the defensive side. Of course, linebacker Cam Gill, he was the two-time NEC Defensive Player of the Year, the all-time sacks leader in Northeast Conference history. And then, of course, his teammate up front, Chris Williams, a versatile tackle, can play the one, can play the three. He signs. He was kind of a, an under-the-radar type late bloomer, but uh, he really developed his junior and senior year on Staten Island, a New York City product. Um, and Chris Williams, of course, with the Colts. Cam Gill down in Tampa, or Tampa Bay, as they call it these days. Um, just some analysis on those two guys and what they have to do First, what you like about them, and then what they have to do to try to crack a roster or a practice squad uh, once NFL camps start up in uh, hopefully uh, late July. Yeah, you know, Wagner didn't exactly have the season they wanted last year, but they continue to turn out NFL talent. They've kind of built a little reputation there. Northeast scouts know they've got to go through Wagner, visit Staten Island, and, you know, Chris Williams is a guy that we talked about frequently on last year's show, his ability to kind of move up and down the line, as you mentioned, can play nose, can play three. He even, uh, you know, uh, pr got some practice reps at the five tech last year with the pot, pot roast uh, Terrence Knight in there, his positional coach, worked him up. And, you know, honestly, uh, we talked about Cam, Bill Cam Gill a lot, too. And Pot Rose kept telling me, hey, keep a lookout for Chris Williams. Keep a lookout for Chris Williams. He's got the NFL body. And he's got room to grow. He's going to get with an NFL strength and conditioning program, probably put on another 10, 15 pounds of muscle. He's got that big, big wide frame to grow into. And also, you have to take into consideration here the landing spot because the Indianapolis Colts, in my opinion, have the best Northeast regional scout in the business. That is Mike DeRice. And when you see the Colts sign a guy from Matt Wagner, then you know Mike DeRice has his fingerprints on that. And so to me, that tells me something stood out to Mike, something stood out to me, and this kid's got a legitimate shot right now. Uh, Cam Gill, he'll be going over to Tampa Bay or Tampa Brady, however you want to call it these days. But, man, I'll tell you, Tampa Bay is one of the most exciting teams coming out of the draft. What they did there, combining the offseason, bringing in Brady and Gronk, they have a perfect coach in, in, in Coach Arians that can blend the youth and the old, bring it together. We saw what a great job he did there filling in uh, for, for, for Pagano at Indianapolis, earning himself that Arizona uh, head coaching job. 
building up that program, making them into contenders. I'll tell you what, Ralph, Tampa Bay to me is one of the NFC contenders. Cam Gill is going to have an opportunity here to inject himself into that pass rush situational mold where I think he's going to have to stand up just because we do have some concerns about his arm length. That's the one thing that he didn't check off. Otherwise, the production was through the roof. NEC all-time sacks leader. Kid is tough as nails. Humble. Very humble. For all the success, you talk to Cam Gill. He's a very humble guy. He knows he's got to come in, put his head down, go to work, just like he did at the East-West Shrine game where he made an impression upon NFL scouts. So I think Cam Gill is going to have a chance to kind of ease himself here into the rotation and then develop himself into an every-down player. He's going to have to really contribute on special teams as well. And, of course, you did mention Terrence Knighton, who, although Wagner had head coaching change at the top, Potrost is back on staff uh, as part of that defensive uh, uh, coaching lineup on Staten Island. And he's a guy who played in the Super Bowl, spent a number of years in the league, and knows what it takes. So I'm sure that, uh, you know, if I'm Chris Williams and Cam Gill, I'm sure they really took advantage of that. Uh, the past couple of years, you know, just being like a sponge, so to speak, and uh, soaking in anything that Coach Knighton could could share with them. So uh, that that really has to to give them a, a little bit of a uh, an advantage going in to their first NFL training camps. Now we know that COVID nineteen has limited a lot of opportunities for the quote unquote small school or the dark horse prospect. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But my question is here, um, and we don't know exactly what the NFL uh, roster exemptions and everything will be this year. I know there, there is something where they're, um, they, they have an ex expanded practice squad and an expanded active roster on, on game days or during the week. But uh, could they have an even bigger practice squad, let's say, uh, because of this possible COVID outbreak amongst the team. Uh, so you would want more guys to be able to shuffle in there if other guys go down. Make a long story short, how does it affect Gill and Williams? You know, maybe there is a little more, uh, looking at the bright side of this COVID thing, maybe there's a little more opportunity for them to earn one of those practice squad spots this year. Um, and maybe there's just some room for teams they'll want to keep some young potential on their roster. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that because when you take a look at the undrafted free agents, these are guys that teams have identified either with a draftable grade or a priority free agent grade. So these were the guys that they liked that fit their scheme, fit their system. So there is some truth of it when you talk about the NFL will almost I can almost guarantee that they will expand the practice squad. The NFLPA has to approve that. But I, I, I believe that that will be expanded by five spots. They're going to need to build that security in. So while it'll be less guaranteed jobs in training camp, it'll be more guaranteed jobs throughout the course of the season. So the fact that they're talking about coming to training camp with 75 to 80 players as opposed to 90, well, they've already done that first wave of cuts for them. So now, instead of competing with a 90-man training camp roster, Cam and Chris, they'll be competing with, you know, 75 or 80 guys to make that 53-man. And then if the uh, practice squad expands to 15, 16 spots, well, hey, now it's going to just kind of uh, make it easier for them if they don't make the 53-man. Well, the teams like these guys, let's develop them uh, – on that practice squad, we mentioned Chris Williams. Hey, give him a year in that strength and conditioning program. Cam Gill, give him a year to adapt to standing up as opposed to putting his hand in the dirt. And then you come back and, and see what you got. But I think it's going to be really tough and unfortunate for the undrafted guys who are currently unsigned because, as you know, there, there's usually rookie tryouts. And those rookie tryouts last year generated 621 invitations to NFL training camps those 620 guys will not have that opportunity this year. There was also fewer undrafted free agent signings, about 100 fewer than last year. So you're talking about 700 guys that are out of an opportunity that now, due to the COVID, NFL teams not being able to bring in non-team employees into the building, having the social distancing in the locker rooms, 
it's going to be almost impossible to do any kind of rookie trials. Now, I've spoken to some scouts that might get some local guys together, go out to a, a third-party high school field, try to gather as many undrafted free agents as they can. But again, I think it's going to be regionalized. If you're in a hot spot, there's only so much of that you can do. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic where all these guys that have to wait will now probably have to wait until in-season week two. Tuesdays are the NFL players' day off. That's traditionally when NFL teams bring in free agents to work them out and try them out. Unfortunately, if you're an undrafted free agent from the 2020 draft class, most likely you have to now wait until week two when the teams start rolling in those Tuesday tryouts again, which will probably be limited or capped, and just hope that you get that phone call. Yeah, and I, you mentioned the 100 undrafted free agents, approximately fewer signed this year than last year. And I was going to actually ask that question um, because it, it seems like, and I may be, it just seems like teams didn't sign nearly as many, even without the rookie tryouts. Um, usually they bring 40 guys into a rookie camp. They'll sign two or three to uh, 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 legitimate contracts. And then, um, but you didn't have that this year. And then you also have, not only did you not have OTAs, but then you didn't have the, the, the full squad mini camps, uh, the veteran mini camps in May and June uh, that you normally have. And it seems like by that time, everybody's pretty close to that 90 number um, of that roster cap, or they're at 88 or 89, you know, you very rarely see anybody lower than, say, 87, you know, going into the NFL preseason, but this year, I, it seems to be like a lot of teams are, are around that, that 80 number, or even 75, and uh, they didn't go out and sign as many guys, so obviously, if you're unsigned, that doesn't bode well for you, but if you did get one of those deals, like Cam Gill and Chris Williams, you may you actually have a little less competition you have to fight through in camp, it seems. Yeah, and I think, you know, a big part of that is with the pro days being canceled, you know, only, only 350 guys get invited to the NFL scouting combine. 250 get drafted, but on average, about 1,200 guys, rookies, are in an NFL training camp on average every year. This year, that number will be cut in half. Actually, it'll probably be closer to five or 500 than 600. But, you know, what we learned this year, Ralph, is that in addition to film, the measurables are so vital, especially when you come from the small school level, the FCS level. The scouts just aren't going to be willing to pound the table without verified height, weight, arm length, uh, 40 times, because now you're just guessing. And while the Zoom helped supplement some of the lost interaction and getting to know a player, at the same time, as you know, you can only know somebody so much through a computer monitor. You lose that personal connection. You lose that ability to stand there, ask an uncomfortable question, and see his body language. How's he going to react? How's he looking at you in the eye? How's he shaking your hand? And, you know, it sounds silly, but all those little details – build up and can really sway you one way or the other, because it's really about how comfortable am I bringing in this guy, this guy into our building? He's got all the talent in the world, but does his personality fit with the mentality and, and the culture that we've built inside this locker room? And I think we, we didn't have that. The scouts didn't have the luxury of that. And hence here we are with, um, you know, just uncharted waters. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to look at it uh, positively or in trying to find any positive I can in it. Um, but the reality is uh, it limited a lot of opportunities. You know, it really is a shame. Uh, the class of 2020, their year was cut short and uh, their opportunities were limited, unfortunately. So a lot of guys who, not, not to say they never would have made uh, a 53-man NFL roster, but they would have at least gotten the taste of what it's like at the NFL level, and they would have at least gotten an opportunity to, uh, to try out and to work out amongst other professionals. Just the fact of life, unfortunately. It um, is unfortunate, Ralph. And I will, I'll say one last thing. It's not just NFL. I, these players just want an opportunity to compete at a pro level. And because of COVID, we lost the XFL. Because of COVID, we probably won't have a CFL 
And, you know, even if there, if there was a CFL. The CFL would be kicking off already, right? They would be a couple weeks into their season right now. be in season. And even if they were playing due to the COVID, they were another ones that were going to roll back the roster. Usually they go to camp with about 100 yep. guys. The higher-ups already informed teams, we're gonna, if, we, if we have a camp, we're going to go to camp with 70 guys. Yeah. So right there, that's 300 fewer jobs kicking off the season. And it uh, affects some NEC alumni as well, since we're talking CFL here. Uh, Lorenzo Jerome really uh, uh, emerged as a talent with uh, – well, we always knew he was a talent, of course. Former MVP of the NFL PA Bowl, which I know you're a part of. And then he uh, had three takeaways – at the Senior Bowl, really uh, ha had a great showing at those All-Star games. And then, of course, you mentioned the measurables and the combine. You know, the dreaded 40-yard dash, obviously, is what hurt his stock. But he's a great football player. He, it's in his blood. And uh, I was glad to see him land on his feet with Calgary last year. Was dynamic in the return game for them, uh, fought through injury. Uh, but anyway, he was going to be back with the Stampeders. And then we have another guy, Nahari Crawford, a former NFL PA Bowl alumnus, Duquesne wide receiver, uh, over a thousand yards in a single season uh, in the NEC, one of our all-time leaders. And of course, he signed a deal back in January to join a CFL team. Last year, he went through the NFL training camp circuit uh, I believe he went to a few rookie camps, actually, with the Giants and then the Steelers. But he was looking forward to a CFL opportunity. And, of course, that's cut, sh that's cut short as well. So, you know, it it's sad to see. But hopefully uh, we will ease our way back into normalcy. And uh, we will play some football uh, this fall. And I want to talk to you about what you see in the future for the Northeast Conference once they lace them up and kick it off this fall. But before that, I just want to talk about one more NEC alumnus, former Central Connecticut State quarterback, Jacob Dolgala. Jake, of course, won an NEC championship with CCSU. He's the program's all-time leading passer. He's top five in Northeast Conference history in passing yards, and he is somebody who produced at the collegiate level, but in addition to that production, he had the measurables that you were talking about before. I know, you know, he had the nice release, you know, the 6'5 stature, over 200 pounds, so he had those measurables, and I'm sure that's what helped him latch on with the Cincinnati Bengals. I wanted to look ahead at maybe what the future holds for him because he signed as an undrafted free agent. He played well in the preseason. Now, I believe he's only one of three quarterbacks on their roster. Of course, you have Joe Burrow, the top draft pick. Uh, you have Finley, who was a rookie alongside Dolgala last year. Of course, Andy Dalton's days are over in Cincinnati. So, does Jacob Dolgala have a shot to stick uh, in this Cincinnati quarterback room? I mean, I got to think yes, uh, simply because they kept him on the 53-man roster. He, we, he wasn't active on regular season game days, but he was on the 53-man roster for the entire duration of the 2019 regular season schedule. And you don't, quote-unquote, tie up or waste a roster spot on somebody without ability because you know during the season especially those roster spots are so valuable with guys going down with injuries every week you know you want to have as many areas uh open spots as possible if you need to sign somebody so obviously they like this kid what have you heard what do you know about Cincinnati obviously Joe Burrow's the guy but uh give us a little Jacob Dogala update if you could yeah, Dolgala, I mean, absolutely. They, they love this kid. And, uh, you know, releasing Andy Dalton, yeah, part of it was because they drafted their new franchise quarterback in, in Burrow. But part of it also is because they felt comfortable enough with Jacob's development. He's a really cerebral kid. Uh, you know, you go back to his 
uh, college days, he started very early on in his career. I think he was a three or four year starter. And he was a very valuable case study for me, a valuable uh, scouting lesson, because I saw him early on as a freshman or sophomore. And he, you know, the game where I saw him live, he made some mistakes, he made some poor throws. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't go back and scout him as a junior. And then senior year, he started getting some buzz there late in the season. And by that time, I had already mapped out my scouting trails, and I didn't get a chance to see him live. And all of a sudden, dollar gala, dollar gala. I said, oh, that's the kid I saw as a sophomore. And, you know, it just goes to show you never write off a player. Always go back and, and check at least several games and also the years of his development. Because when he was a senior signal caller, you go back and watch it now, it, it's night and day to his younger days. And I think the offense was kind of limited early on. And as he got older and developed, they gave him more responsibility. They gave him the flexibility to change up those audibles at the line of scrimmage and make those calls. And as he went through uh, the gunfire, so to speak, he became more comfortable in his ability and suddenly he skyrocketed up draft boards. He had the measurables, the big six foot five, you know, Paul Orndorff, body beautiful, first man off the bus, uh, looks the part, had a great pro day. And it just goes to show you, Ralph, that we've seen so many guys, not only at the NEC level, but at the FCS level, where players feel they need to transfer up. That's the new phrase with this transfer port. They feel like they got to transfer up and they've got to go prove themselves at the FBS level. And we all know that's not true. Carson Wentz was the number one pick in, in the entire draft. So if you're talented, like Jacob Dolagala, they will find you. And I see so many young players now making the mistake of transferring up, thinking the grass is greener on the other side. It's not always the case. And the players this year, another very valuable lesson. You went into the transfer portal, you try to transfer up, guess what? No OTAs, no spring ball, no off-season workouts. Now you're behind on the playbook. Now you're behind with your chemistry. It's not always a win-win situation when you transfer up. Also, you got to understand the players that have already been there know this playbook. They've been in the system. Uh, there are coaches' favorites. These things are all true and real. And, yeah, you know, there, there have been some exceptions where it has worked out. The player transfers up, has a good year, he gets drafted. But believe you me, Ralph, we talk to every school. We do our homework on every guy. And if you're talented, uh, if you're in a school, in a program where you're comfortable, you know the playbook, you know the coach has got your back, it goes a long ways. And, and also, like, you know, if, if the coach has got your back, you're doing well where you are, it's all going to look good when that evaluation process comes around. I talk to a lot of coaches now. They get these transfer – you know, I don't really want to talk to them. I don't know the kid. I can't vouch for them. So until you come in and prove your worth, these coaches are not going to vouch for you. And there's so many lessons to be learned from this. And I could probably spend the whole episode just talking on this topic. But any player in the NEC, in the lower levels, FCS, just please hear me out. If you're in a good situation, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Make sure you talk to the right people because there's a lot of people that will gas you up between the years that, that don't have your best intentions. They have their best intentions, not your best intentions. So you've got to be careful of that. And I think a lot of times, you know, people get into these players' ears, tell them what they want to hear, and it's a, a, a perception deception, so to speak. You know, you, you mentioned it and you said the word mistake. Sometimes it can be a mistake for a particular player to transfer up. And I look at it as opportunity. Um, you transfer up to LSU. Now, there are a lot of guys who, like you said, are already in that locker room, who already know the plays, who already have a relationship with their teammates, who already have a relationship with the coaches. They're just as fast and as strong as you. And now you got to kind of compete with them. You know, there's no guarantee that you're even going to get on the field. Um, at, at that level when you only have maybe one spring to prove yourself uh, and some of the players that you're going up against have a three-year resume at that particular program. And then especially this year, this had to be a tough year for those who transferred because, as you mentioned, no spring ball, so on and so forth, uh, less opportunities. So I look at it this way. Let's just use Jacob Dogala as an example because he won a championship 
as a junior and he was a three-year starter and he was uh, set the team's uh, single season passing record. And I'm sure just based on his, his measurables, his height, his, uh, his, his arm talent, I'm sure he could have transferred somewhere, but there would be no guarantee that he would get the starting opportunity. Whereas, hey, I stay at Central Connecticut where I know the coaching staff, I'm comfortable, I know my teammates, we have a really good team coming back, I'll I know that I'll compete for a championship, and my draft prospects actually are no different than they would be had I gone a level higher. I'm still being evaluated at this level, and like you said, talent is talent, and there are so many quote-unquote gurus and experts out there now, and there's so much, so many different ways to get information out on players that we didn't have, say, 20 years ago. The bottom line is, if you're good, they'll find you, and I just want to support what you were saying about Dogala and, and his ability. I don't want to put words in Coach Gilbride's mouth, but of course, Kevin Gilbride was coaching in the XFL, head coach of the New York franchise, 28 years as a coordinator or a head coach at the NFL level. Uh, and we had him in our ESPN3 booth. And he was with us for a four-year period. And it coincided with Dolgala's career at Central. And he didn't say much about him early on. But by his senior year, he noticed that development. And he said, he goes, listen, he's already shown he can produce at this level. What really matters is, just the way this kid, the ball comes out of his arm, scouts are going to love it. They're going to look at him. They're going to notice him. And, um, you know, he's a legit NFL prospect. He, he'll be somebody who, who will be in preseason next year. And obviously, Coach Gilbride was right. Not only was he in preseason, but he made a 53-man roster. You know, who would have thunk it from Central Connecticut State? It just goes to show you just to support what you're saying. Of course, I'm a little biased here, Rick. You know, I'm a big supporter of, of FCS football. Um, so I'm a little biased. I'm going to tell you it's great opportunity here, but it's truth. You know, there is a great opportunity here. And maybe the stadiums are a little bigger if you transfer up for one year, but that has nothing to do with the evaluation process. And, and to your point, you know, the NFL does exist in the NEC. Uh, when you got a guy like Kevin Gilbride calling games, a Super Bowl champion, who's been around this game for 40 year plus years, uh, believe you me, he's got connections in the league. He's going to be talking to guys. Uh, Coach Villarreal, he played in the league. He's going to be talking to NFL guys. Uh, we talked about pot roast, Terrence Knighton, yep. another guy who played in a Super Bowl. Yep. He knows what it takes to get there, and he's going to make sure that he lets the NFL scouts know. Uh, another guy I'm going to talk about later on, Nicholas Lennon, son of Patrick Lennon, strong bloodlines over there at Merrimack. Uh, Merrimack, believe it or not, had a linebacker a couple years ago on the NFL radar. I was up at the pro day in the snow, and, and the scouts were out there, Ralph, because we got the heads up. We knew this kid could play ball. So to your point, you know, you go to LSU, you travel, you transfer up, you're in camp, training camp competing against it. Guess what? That backup backup is a four-star recruit. So, you know, it can be an uphill battle. I think that, you know, a lot of players see success at the FCS. They, they, they think, hey, the next way to, for me to prove myself is to do it at the FBS level. It's just not the case. It's just not true. And I wish people would stop misinforming the players. To your point about there is an NFL presence in the NEC, and I think it's a little underrated, uh, to be honest with you. Well, first off, I'm thankful that a lot of NFL folks have landed in the NEC and are still involved in the game and teaching the game. Of course, it all started back with Joe Walton at Robert Morris. Uh, Joe was a founding father of our league. Obviously, Joe Walton, a former New York Giant, uh, former head coach of the Jets, and he spent 20 years in this league. Now, uh, Chris Valerio, head coach at St. Francis U, the ultimate small school prospect from Division II, PSAC player. He actually had the measurables. He went to the combine. He, sent the, he set the bench press record uh, at that point uh, in the mid-'90s, winds up playing 11 years, eight years for the Bears, 
three years for the Buffalo Bills, two all-pro selections. I mean, and now he's teaching the game here in the Northeast Conference. He, he's actually uh, – this will be, I believe, his 10th season. He came on in 2011, and he's done great things at St. Francis U. Um, but there's a guy who obviously has friends in the league and a guy who knows, and he's going to be straight with you. He'll tell you what it takes to make it. Like I said, not even the FCS level. He came from Division Two, So that's a guy you're going to want to listen to. You know, Pot Roast Knighton, another guy from Temple, I believe he was a mid-round draft pick, but made the most of his ability uh, with the Jaguars and then later the Broncos. He's teaching in this league right now. We mentioned Kevin Gilbride was a member of our TV team, and uh, he's without a doubt still a friend of the conference. His son, as a matter of fact, Kevin Jr., was coaching for the Bears last year. But anyway, there are connections. The NFL can see you, and you're getting to learn from – people in this league who played at the top and who coached at the top. So, you know, you're not a guaranteed NFL prospect if you come into NEC. Um, you know, we're not selling that. We're not, we're not selling that you're going to be, as a matter of fact, at the FC, FCS level alone, we only saw a handful of draft picks this year, which was a little disappointing. Uh, probably COVID had, had more to do with that than the actual talent at the FCS level. So we're not promising you that you're going to get drafted, but we are promising you that you will learn from some of the best and you'll have a great time and hopefully uh, a fulfilling career uh, at this level. And there is the ability for upward mobility and moving on to the professional level. If you are talented enough, they will likely get a chance, barring, of course, a worldwide pandemic, uh, which has rained down on us this year. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you one last one, Ralph. Mike Mayock. I've crossed scouting trails with him all year long from, from Oregon over to Rutgers. And, you know, he asked me what, what's going on in the Northeast because he watches the chop shop. And people don't realize he's now the GM of the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders. Most people know him from the NFL Network. What they don't know is he got his broadcasting career start in the NEC. And his brother was the head coach at St. Francis U for a couple of years in the 90s. Um, and I remember he was someone, Mike Mayock was one of the first guys on Lorenzo Jerome, one of the first national pundits. And I know at that point, Phil Savage was running the Senior Bowl, and he actually – I believe, on a way up to a State College to scout some talent on Penn State. I believe he stopped at uh, St. Francis uh, to look at Lorenzo Jerome. But uh, Savage was on him, and Mayock was one of the first guys on Lorenzo Jerome. And he even said, you know, I'm not going to hold anything against this kid, even though his school fired my brother uh, a couple decades ago. And But Mike Mayock, a great football guy, I actually – He's actually one of my favorite color commentators. I used to love him and Nestler on the uh, Thursday night or the, the, the NFL Network football package. Um, but, yeah, there's a guy who, you know, has knows who the NEC is. And, you know, he's, he's watching. And, obviously, he's an NFL GM. He has limited spots. It's a business. You know, he's not going to do you a favor. Uh, but you better believe if you have the talent – He'll know about it, and he'll try to get you an opportunity. So another guy, while we talk about this, uh, Rick, Central Connecticut State alumnus, Scott Pioli, New England Patriots, former general manager of the Chiefs, and then he was uh, a special assistant down in Atlanta in the, uh, in the, in, in the front office. Uh, and he's a guy with Central Connecticut Northeast ties, um, and I know throughout the years, uh, there were a few different Central Connecticut Blue Devils who, uh, who wound up on uh, Scott Pioli rosters. Now, of course, Scott is no longer with the Falcons, but he's still heavily involved uh, in NFL circles. Um, and I believe he's, uh, he's working with a, a, a diversity and inclusion group um, as well. But Scott Pioli, just another name that has some kind of another NFL name that has some kind of connection 
to the NEC. Bobby Valentine, I, I hate to keep throwing him out there, the athletic director, SID. I, hey, people don't realize he was the backup to O.J. Simpson at USC. He could have played in the NFL or MLB. He was that talented, all-world Connecticut. This guy's got every Connecticut high school sports record probably still to this day, and he's very well connected. And, you know, he's also in the conference and, and, and very well tapped into the NFL. All right. Well, now we're talking a lot about people from the past or just their, their connections to the NFL. Now let's take a look at the future here, the 2020 NEC season. I want a little bit of uh, Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible, NEC Primer. I know that you already spoke to four head coaches. You have past knowledge of the league. You've been looking at things kind of from an overhead view. You have your conversations, some intel from our head coaches. What do you see shaking out in the NEC come 2020 overall? And maybe you want to take us uh, a little team by team uh, in terms of maybe the head coaches that you spoke to already and uh, what to expect from their programs. Well, I'm excited this year, Ralph, because I'll tell you what. I usually go into the media day with the consensus pick who I think is going to win the conference. I'll be honest with you. I need more time to figure it out because I have never seen the NEC this wide open in my four or five years covering it now with you guys. I've never seen it so wide open. I think that there's a handful of teams, Central Connecticut, obviously everybody's going to be gunning for them. Will they be able to repeat the remarkable feat that they accomplished last year? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because when you look around the conference and you talk to the head coaches and you see the increase in scholarships all around, these teams are becoming more uh, competitive. Uh, I talked to a, a bunch of head coaches. You hear the common denominator. We've got more depth this year. Uh, so I think, you know, Sacred Heart is a team that is always going to be a force. Uh, coach Nofri is as well respected uh, as any coach in the conference. Uh, same with Coach Smith at Duquesne. They're always going to have a winning program there. So, you know, as, as I go through this conference, I think it's really wide open. Obviously, uh, Wagner bringing back a coach, Macella, from the past, kind of rekindle old success. They've got a lot of talent on that roster. If anybody can bounce back from worst to first, it could be Wagner. Um, then you've got, you know, the, the newbies involved and uh, – Mary Mack, you know, making that jump last year from, from D2 and, and winning six games. Uh, what Coach has done there has been remarkable. So, um, you know, I'm going to run you through some teams. I've spoken to some head coaches, and I'm excited for the media day because we're going to get them all on the panel and, and chop it up some, some more. Uh, but I'll, I'll start off with Coach Nofri because, you know, Sacred Heart Pioneers, uh, four and three in the conference last year, seven and five overall. And, you know, this is his ninth year as head coach. 50-plus victories, but he's actually been with Sacred Heart for uh, – this will be his 28th year, Ralph. Uh, so you talk about somebody who's just embedded himself in the community, is very well respected amongst his uh, players. Now, I will tell you on the defensive side, there's going to be some challenges. Only three starters return from a year ago. But Coach did say a lot of these players now sliding into those starting roles. A lot of them have game experience. It's not going to be their first rodeo. So he felt comfortable, you know, with, with eight new starters on the defensive side of the ball. He felt comfortable uh, with the experience that they have. Now, I asked him, I said, with the COVID, what's been the, the, the biggest challenges? He said it, the recruiting was tough. The recruiting was tough. Just like we talked about before, you can only learn so much about a person through the Zoom. And I think that was the thing like, hey, the Zoom was good, but it was limited where it kind of hurt the recruiting process. So that was his take on the whole COVID pandemic, how to navigate through it. Uh, they made the best of the situation, but, you know, he might have the best player in the conference. We've seen NEC produce some really big time running backs over the last couple of years. Ryan Fulce was a big, big play running back from Wagner a couple of years ago. Last year, A.J. Hines the Heinz train uh, from Duquesne, uh, really bruising back. And Ryan was more of a faster back. 
Julius Chestnut is a combination of, of both of these guys. I think he's a better player, a better NFL prospect. And I spoke to Coach. He's, he's in just under six feet tall, 5'11 and 6'8 inches. He weighs 225, 230, Ralph. But when you watch him, he's got some wiggle. He's got some athleticism. He's not just plowing you over. In the open field, he will make defenders miss. Uh, so what he did last year, uh, running for, you know, five yards shy of 1,500, uh, nine games of over 100-plus rushing yards. He also added, I think, like 200 yards out of the backfield, a very capable uh, pass-catching threat. So I'm looking at Julius Chestnut to really uh, carry this team into contention because the quarterback, Marquez McCray, we saw him start a handful of games down the stretch last year. Uh, Logan Marchie went down. In comes McCray. And he adds a little bit of a different element to this offense. He's a dual threat. He's got some dynamic uh, capabilities there. And Coach Nofrey did say that they will adapt the offense accordingly a little bit. They will tweak it and adjust it to, to fit his skill set. So I expect to see a little bit more RPO type of play action with Chestnut, McCray. Um, I feel good about the offense. Again, it's the defense with the eight new starters that are going to have to hold up their end of the bargain there. And McCray definitely thrown into the fire there. He had a little bit of success um, and showed that potential. And definitely an athletic quarterback, uh, mobility, uh, without a doubt. Um, I don't know as much about him as a thrower yet, but uh, as far as mobile quarterbacks, and you mentioned adjusting the system, uh, Sacred Heart had a lot of success with a guy by the name of R.J. Noel uh, about six or seven years ago. R.J. Noel, one of the NEC's all-time leaders in total offense, threw his share of touchdowns, but also a kid who could uh, tuck it away on a read option, and, you know, he's gone for, for 65 yards. So it'll be interesting to see what Sacred Heart looks like this year, but as you mentioned, Coach Nofrey with a tremendous reputation, and he's going to have those guys prepared as best they can be. He'll certainly have them hungry and, and motivated, uh, if I know anything about Coach Nof. And, of course, you mentioned Julius Chestnut as well, a phenomenal talent. I believe he was second overall last year uh, amongst FCS rushers in rush yards in the regular season. Uh, and he was only a sophomore, uh, over six yards a carry. Like you say, he's a big boy, but uh, I saw him break one off for 70 yards against Bucknell right down the sideline, outrunning defensive backs. So uh, he's definitely on the right trajectory. But as you know, there are a lot of things that young men and prospects have to do to stay on that path. So uh, let's hope that continues for uh, for the young man. So you kind of got us talking about Sacred Heart here. What, what else you got for us? What else you got? We know Sacred Heart will yeah. be a force as usual. Uh, what else is on? Uh, well, on I, think that, I, think, I think Sacred Heart will, will share a handful of those votes come NEC Media Day. I think they'll get a, a handful of those votes to win the conference. And, and Chestnut, you know, I, I think he has a chance to be the conference MVP, quite honestly, if he has another year like he did last year. Now, 230 pounds, you see him out running those players in the secondary. We're keeping tabs on him, obviously, for the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl as well. Now, we talked about Coach Nofrey, his experience, his reputation in the program 28 years. Let's talk about Bryant Bulldogs and Coach Merritt, because he goes 4-8 and eight last year uh, as, as his first-year head coach at Bryant, 3-4 and four in the conference. I had a chance to talk to him at media day uh, last year. I said, who is this guy? Well, he's, you know, he's coming from Florida. He's a high school coach. Uh, you know, then you, you dig into the background and you say, hey, 14 championships in 18 years at Christopher Columbus High School there in Miami, Florida. This guy is the ultimate teacher, Ralph. In fact, he even spent seven years overseas coaching in Europe which I had no idea until I start chatting with him on the phone the other day. And he was part of the NFL Europe. He was out there uh, back in the day teaching guys overseas. This guy is such a great communicator. Um, so he spent a bunch of years overseas. He's, he's now trying to find his way here in the NEC after uh, 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 one of the all-time 
great runs in high school history at, at, at any state. So, you know, I asked him, hey, COVID, uh, how's that affected you? He said, well, Rick, you know, in one perspective, I feel like I did a good job. I lost three coaches. It told me that I, I did a great job of identifying uh, a good coaching staff, guys that went on to bigger opportunities. Yeah. One of those guys, Tomasella. He brought in Tomasella to be the defensive coordinator in his first year. And, of course, Masella makes his return to the NEC with Bryant, and now he'll be on the Wagner sideline. So, uh, and I think that was important for Coach Merritt because he was coming from Miami, high school level. Now you're coming to the FCS level in a completely different part of the country. And, yes, everybody recruits Miami Everybody in the country recruits Florida, so I'm sure he has Northeast contacts. Um, but now you're living in the Northeast. It's a different lifestyle than, than, than South Beach, you know. Um, but he brought in a lot of people with Northeast ties and with FCS experience to help, help ease that transition. And Brian got off to a rough start last year a couple of really tough losses. They just couldn't put together a complete 60 minutes. But then you saw them break through later on in the season. They had some great efforts and uh, some good results. They won a few games and definitely have some momentum going uh, in Coach Merritt's second year. Um, did he mention any uh, personnel uh, in particular or any players that – he's looking at to step up and lead the team, uh, maybe not only on the field, but in the locker room as well. Indeed, he did. Uh, so they're losing uh, their top three leading tacklers on the defensive side of the ball. I said, well, who's going to step up and kind of take the leadership role there? And he had uh, lofty praise for Andrew Brackett. Uh, in fact, Defensive Ralph, back. Yes, in fact, Coach Merritt called him the best cornerback in the NEC. Um, wow. This guy is uh, extremely physical uh, as a cornerback. He had a, a, a racked up, I think, 60-something tackles last year uh, from the cornerback position, so he's not afraid to get his nose dirty. And he's also uh, an exceptional return man. Uh, you talk about 95-yard uh, kick return for a touchdown last year, dangerous with the ball in his hands, 50-yard pick six interception return. Uh, actually, he averaged – he must have led the conference. He averaged over 30 yards per kick return, which is exceptional. And as a corner, a cover guy, I mean, he's got tremendous ball skills, uh, lockdown, cover man corner. Andrew Brackett is a guy that's going to really make some noise this year. Yeah, Brackett, um, Andre Brackett was a guy who won the NEC Defensive Rookie of the Year Award, I believe, in 2017. Then the next year, sophomore, you didn't hear that much about him. But uh, last year, he definitely reemerged. Uh, you mentioned the 95-yard kickoff return touchdown. That was on the opening kickoff during our NEC game of the week on ESPN3. We were up in Smithfield, Rhode Island for Bryant against LIU. And uh, Brackett rips off a 95-yarder to get the party started up there, um, dynamic in the return game. And then, as you mentioned, I'm, I, I'm interested in to see, seeing uh, his further development as a defensive back uh, because that's certainly high praise from, uh, from his head coach. Hey, you talked about how the party started. Uh, you kind of led me right into my transition because uh, Luke Samperi, uh, no, he's not a cordial. He's a kicker. But he got the party started last year with a 49-yard uh, field goal in the season opener. He also had a 50-yarder uh, later in the year. And I said, Coach, I said, this seems like a guy I should keep an eye on. He said, without question, he's got what you call boot courage. And he's got an incredible story, too, which I'll get to in a second. But you talk about consistency. When you can depend on a guy within uh, 40 yards and in, it's just the ultimate X factor at the end of the game that I can trot this guy out there and I've got all the confidence in the world. He was a perfecto six for six from inside the 40 last year, Ralph. Now, the cool part, former walk-on uh, coach Merritt last year calls him out at the end of practice. 
Got a 40-yarder for you. You nail it, you've got a scholarship. Ice water in the veins. Nails it. The team goes crazy. He earns a scholarship. Just a really cool story. Yeah, without a doubt. And then he actually uh, came onto the scene two seasons ago. Uh, he wasn't the, the primary kicker, but he found himself attempting a 40-plus yarder. I want to say it was about 47-yarder. Actually, uh, Tom Kennedy, wide receiver who spent some time with the Detroit Lions this past year, Tom Kennedy made a great grab over the middle. Bryant had enough time to clock it, and Sampiri kicks, I believe, what, a 47-48 yarder at the gun to beat Fordham on the road. And I think everybody was like, whoa, where did this guy come from? You know, it opened up eyes. He was NEC Special Teams Player of the Week, clutch kick to win a road game from long distance. So I know that that was really a memorable moment from Sam Peary. And then, of course, you mentioned last year when he wins the scholarship at practice. I remember seeing that on the Bryant football social media, so that on Twitter and uh, Instagram. So without a doubt, a cool moment. And it just goes to, you know, I don't want to sound like an old, old school guy here just yelling out the clouds, but special teams – they are important. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. I make no secret about that. The great Marv Levy would always say how special teams is truly one-third of the game. And if you have someone like Andre Brackett who can change field position in an instant, and then you have someone who can make from 40 yards in field goals, I mean, late-game situations, they certainly uh, – a lot more options open up in, in, in those situations when you have when you can get special teams contributions of that uh, importance. I, th I think that's going to be the difference between a losing record and a winning record. I would not be surprised. I'm a big believer in Coach Merritt. I think he's going to steer the ship here in Bryant, and, and I believe they're going to have a winning record in 2020. All right, so we got Sacred Heart and Bryant. I know you spoke to four coaches. So we got two more teams to tackle on this summer edition of the Chop Shop. Yep. And then, of course, we'll be back with you uh, again on the NEC Overtime Pod with Rick at a date to be determined. And Rick will, of course, be a part of our NEC Football Virtual Media Day. We're having a virtual show this year. It will go live on July 23rd on NEC Front Row and ESPN3, watch ESPN. We'll have plenty of time to talk more football. But for now, we're uh, just, you know, I just couldn't help ourselves. We had to get back into Chop Shop for you. <laughs> and, um, but now uh, to, uh, to close out our, uh, our summer edition here, let's talk about those two other teams that you have in mind. Two more teams. And then, you know, July 23rd, Ralph, you're giving me one of the uh, very few reasons uh, to leave the Jersey Shore here in July. So uh, I'm looking forward. <laughs> and, uh, you know, speaking of the shore, hey, well, let's go out to Long Island where the Sharks, you know, uh, making their NEC, you know, transition here. Um, had a chance to talk to Coach Brian Collins, who's going into his 23rd year as head coach, 160 wins. A remarkable uh, resume of success at the Division II level. Uh, yep. I mean, they, uh, they, they really, uh, I believe the number is 30 and four. In their last three seasons at the Division II level before moving up to the FCS and the Northeast Conference, 30 wins, four losses in the last three seasons at D2. So now it's all about kicking it up a notch. And I know he, he obviously has a, a program. He has a culture established there. He has a foundation. What else is he expecting to see this year? Well, you know, uh, Coach Collins is very involved, not only on the field, but also off the field, Ralph. And he, he took a lot of pride in the fact that uh, last year's team GPA was 3.37 overall. Uh, it's a great mark for the team. 24 of those players did graduate. 
so he's got a lot of newcomers coming in and not just recruits. He, he did his homework in the transfer portal. He's got some transfer guys coming in. And in fact, he's got two guys uh, from our neck of the woods coming in and from Rutgers that he believes will make an impact this year as well. But, you know, he did say uh, in his 23 years, Ralph, this has been the hardest offseason ever for him. Um, obviously, for personal reasons and professional reasons, um, you know, last year, the tough, the tough transition, going D1, uh, you know, unfortunately unable to win any conference games, but a big learning curve, a big transition, trying to keep guys motivated uh, throughout the, the, the season was a, a challenge. Then you get into the offseason, the unfortunate death of quarterback Clay Bethard, uh, the stabbing down there in Nashville, uh, obviously a dark cloud hovering over the team and it, it impacted the locker room immensely. Uh, it's still going to carry on throughout the season as they play this season in honor of Clay Bethard. And then, you know, when you, when you seek the unity, you get hit with the COVID and everybody's in lockdown. So for him, uh, this was the most challenging off season, a very difficult off season for Long Island. Um, thoughts and prayers, obviously with the Bethard, uh, legendary football family. Um, but with that being said, you know, they're going to have to find answers now. And, you know, the quarterback competition is going to be wide open. They have a pair of red shirt freshmen, Cameron, uh, Camden Orth, who uh, he sound very excited about Ralph in terms of his potential. I believe that Camden has the, uh, the, the upper hand on Luke Sprague right now. They're both red shirt uh, freshmen, Camden uh, from Florida, Luke from Pennsylvania, but because Camden Orth did so well uh, against Merrimack last year, he showed the flashes. I think Camden Orth will have the upper hand going into that training camp battle. And then uh, on the defensive side, it's the uh, silent but deadly safety, I call him, Jerome Brooks. Uh, Coach Collins says he's a man of very few words. He's not the boisterous type uh, that's out there yelling, but all he does is make plays. He's all over the field. Uh, 66 tackles last year. I think he led the team. A handful of tackles made behind the line of scrimmage. Six and a half tackles for loss. Had a uh, handful of pass breakups, an interception, a blocked kick on special teams. So Jerome Brooks, the senior defensive back, is a guy we'll probably mention uh, on a handful of occasions coming up this season on the chop shop. All right. So we got Bryant, Sacred Heart, LIU. Who's the fourth team you got for us today? All right, so uh, the fourth team, Ralph, you know, uh, making, making the rounds here, I talked to uh, Coach Coran over at Merrimack, the Warriors, of course. And uh, they won six games last year, making that jump up from, from D2 to FCS. They, they go six and five. And uh, speaking of that game against Long Island, the season finale there, they're looking to carry the, the momentum off of that big win. Uh, Ten sacks. I'm going to talk about that defensive line in just a moment. Ten sacks in that season finale. But Coach Coran, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, obviously I knew he had the NFL background playing for uh, the Seahawks and the Saints. What I did not know is he was actually recruited by Chip Kelly when he played at New Hampshire. His quarterback was Ryan Day, the current head coach at Ohio State. The wide receiver coach there was John Perry, the former Merrimack coach, all at UNH. So I said, Coach, I said, that's unbelievable. You guys were all there at the same time. I said, I got to ask you. I said, having gone through the COVID and the pandemic and, and transitioning through all this adversity, I said, do you talk to any of those guys? He said, yeah, absolutely. I, talked to, I just talked to Chip today. And he said, we talked about how to navigate through the situation. And the big point of emphasis was, you can only manage what you can control. In other words, don't worry about what you can't control. Worry about what you can control. And, you know, he said that the COVID actually allowed them to uh, meet more because of the Zoom and, and spend more time with his family. So he said there's elements of the Zoom meetings that he's going to keep, even when things do get back to normal, he will continue to do Zoom meetings with the staff because they met just as much, if not more, and we're still able to get that family time in. Now, he did say uh, due to the COVID, the, the, the challenge there was just developing and evaluating and, and having those spring ball practices and being able to develop players and evaluate the guys currently in his program. So that was the task. Uh, 
Um, this team is going to lean on their defense, and it starts up front. Um, Corey Hagerman, junior defensive lineman, plays inside, outside, uh, 6'2", 260, Ralph, lines up uh, up and down that defensive line there. He had 13, and a half, uh, 13 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks as a sophomore. I'm anticipating double-digit sacks here as a junior, and one of the reasons why is because playing opposite of him is Nicholas Lennon, who came in as a, a, a freshman last year, makes a significant impact. Um, of course, we talked about the bloodlines and the pedigree. Patrick Lennon, a, a lot of you might remember with the Packers, uh, played over a decade in the NFL. And I got news for you. This Nicholas Lennon, I'm going to be keeping tabs on him throughout the years. He's coming in at six foot two, 240 pounds. He was actually tested and timed, uh, according to Coach Current, in the 4-6 range. So this is a defensive end pass rusher with speed, quickness, strength, athleticism. Remember these two names, Corey Hagerman and Nicholas Lennon, uh, because they're going to have both of these players for at least the next two seasons. That would be the Merrimack Warriors transitioning from Division II into the FCS. And uh, as you mentioned, quite uh, a nice maiden voyage for them last year. With the, with the winning season, they will play, I believe, uh, as of right now, I believe they are scheduled to play every Northeast Conference team, uh, maybe outside of Duquesne. Don't quote me on that there, uh, folks. I probably should know this. Uh, but um, they will continue to work their way into the Northeast Conference, and then they will be eligible for all conference awards this year in 2020. Uh, but they will have to wait a few more seasons before they are FCS postseason eligible. They have to go to a transition period, being that they came up from Division II. Uh, LIU, which joined the NEC Football League last year, they were a little bit of a different story because they had two campuses, one Division I campus and one Division II campus. They unified both. And because they already had Division I status as an institution, the football team was immediately eligible for postseason play at the D1 level. Um, so both LIU and Merrimack will both be in the Northeast Conference football circuit for the second year, but both are in a little bit different situations. Uh, needless to say, both teams have some talent, and I'm sure, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing both of those teams in action uh, this fall. Rick, before I let you go, I want to thank you for your time today. It's always fun to chop it up with you. Do you have anything else for us, anything else that we missed, anything we need to be thinking about as we move forward, any uh any questions for me? What, what do you got, Rick? Or are we good to go here? Well, I, my question is, where, where are we going out to eat down the shore, Ralph? But, no, just to the, wrap up on the uh, Merrimack and, and, and LIU, I think um, it's exciting times for Northeast Football Conference. I mean, adding those two programs. But we talked about the talented head coaches. I think that's really the most underrated aspect of this conference. And you look around the conference and you see the stability you see the well-respected coaches. A lot of these guys could have took bigger jobs, but they have an attachment, a personal allegiance. A lot of these guys are just really married to the school, and it shows. It, the passion oozes out uh, when I speak to these guys. And you talk about Mary Mack and Long Island. You're adding two more incredible, great coaches to this fraternity. And I think the NEC Football Conference is so vastly underrated exciting football each and every week, competitive games. Um, I'm happy to be a part of it. I, I'm, I'm happy to be involved with the media day. And uh, I think I'll end on that July 23rd. If you don't have it locked in, make sure you do so because we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, of course, Ralph and myself will be chopping it up, but uh, they do a great job every year. You guys bring in awesome speakers, uh, Sean O'Hara, Roman Oban. Uh, the list goes on and on. So I think I'm looking forward to – uh, getting back to football, getting back to uh, September football, 
And then also being involved with the media day, being around and getting the opportunity to talk to so many different personalities. Uh, always an honor and a pleasure. And I appreciate the time, Ralph. Yeah, well, unfortunately, due to COVID, we can't have our in-person summer celebration this year uh, at MetLife Stadium. Obviously, we last five years, we've kicked off the season in uh, celebratory fashion. I like to call it basically a NEC football party. Uh, we get together with all the coaches, two student athletes from each team, guest speaker, live TV show, media interviews, good Great food, <laughs> good times, the whole thing. Unfortunately, we'll be limited to our computer screens this summer, but we'll still have a lot of fun promoting Northeast Conference football. A lot of great stories to talk about. A lot of great stories still yet to be written. Um, but uh, with that said, Rick, as always, it's a pleasure. I don't know how you have so much time to watch uh, NEC football with so much that you have to keep an eye on. Um, but uh, we appreciate it. As always, NFL Draft Bible, that's Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible. He was also a scout for the NFL PA Bowl this past year. And it is always a pleasure to chop it up with RIC and the place to be. He's Rick Saratella. I'm Ralph Ventry. This was the NEC Football Chop Shop on the NEC Now Overtime Pod Network. Thanks for listening. Until next time.